Early Way In podcast is back, and after a couple weeks of some kind of lackluster fight nights, we're finally here. We got UFC 267, Jan Blockowitz versus Old Man Glover, and the co-main event, paper champs on the sidelines, so we got the interim champ up for grabs here the Bantamweight division. We've got Peter Jan taking on Corey Sanhagen. Combine that with a slew of Russian talent that's on this card. We've got the return of Hamzat Shemaev. It's free on TV on Saturday morning. Prelims start at 10.30 Eastern. We're on Fight Island. Doesn't get much better than this, man. Um, we're hoping to ride some momentum from last week into a big pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. Happy to see us in positive again, mm-hmm. finally, after you know a couple of really right. close weeks. Um, we started off the night with Jeff Molina. Daniel Lacerdo doesn't mm-hmm. go the distance. Um, like you said earlier, we probably should have hit that harder. Um, to get it at plus money was a was a great pickup. So. But at flyweights, you, you still got to reserve. Had to have some reserve too. You know? For sure. And then the next fight, we bet only a unit on um, Kama Worthy versus Jai Herbert under two and a half. Another one we probably could have hit harder, knowing Kama's history yeah. of getting knocked out. But you know, it is what it is. We're glad we played it. Um, the next one. Uh, Sucks, you know. We had Souza against Random Marcos for a unit, and honestly, our bet looked like a great bet multiple times in the fight. Mm-hmm. It's just Souza. Souza's a little bit of a quitter. Yeah, a little bit of a gasser. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a gasser. I think she has a little bit of quit on her as well. Um, then <laughs> one that I'm not too proud of. It was the the heavyweights over one and a half between uh, Negromanu and Villanueva. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough one right there. Right. Yeah. For sure. I definitely didn't see Ike uh, going out as easy as he did. You know, it seemed like he's uh, not really able to take a punch anymore. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's. I think that his future in the UFC is probably <laughs> done. Done. Um, Francisco Trinaldo versus Dwight Grant. A little sweaty. A little sweaty. A little Point sweaty. deduction, but a little sweaty. Um, I, I think it was a good play. Trinaldo definitely was yeah, the side there. 100%. But yeah, the point deduction made it a little bit sweatier than we'd like. Yeah, 29-27 sure. Grant. Absolutely just, just absurd, you mm-hmm. know. And then um, for the fifth time in a row, the main event goes the distance. We miss out on uh, Costa Vittori. Fight doesn't go the distance. We only hit it for a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a pretty exciting fight. Both fighters for came sure. out there, and I, I think that we definitely had the uh, the value side, especially mm-hmm. where we got Vittori. We, we had locked him in for a unit and a half at minus 108. He ended up getting like minus 200 by fight time. Um, so I'm happy with our with our bets, and I'm happy that we went positive. Yeah, no, got a little worrisome going up to 205 pounds and stuff, but we talked about it all week, man. Paulo Costa just, he didn't look like he was there, man. Something no. definitely was off with him, and uh, I was actually real confident with Vittori going into that fight. Yes. Uh, make sure you guys like the video. If you're new to the channel, subscribe. We're about to get into it. Mm-hmm. We start off in the flyweight division where we see Tagir Ulanbekov taking on Alan Nascimento. Ulan Bekov kind of starts the card off as our first Russian monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's a longtime training partner of Khabib, and his debut against Bruno Silva really isn't getting the love that I think it should. Yeah. Um, as we both know, as we cashed on Bruno Silva in his last yeah. fight, he's a he's a monster. He like is. he's overlooked, and he's got great training partners with Henry Cejudo. And to do what Ulan Bekov did to him, uh, I, I think it was a it was really good for especially for a debut. Absolutely. It's a tough opponent to take on. Um, Ulan Bekov, usually the taller fighter in there, but for this one, he's not going to right. be. And uh, I actually think that that's going to work into his advantage. You know, I was really impressed with Tagir's ability to get in on the hips of Bruno Silva in their fight, and Bruno Silva is significantly shorter. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to have somebody like uh, Nascimento who's more than willing to bail out and try and go for a leg or pull guard, because most of his wins also come by submission. 
Honestly, I, I don't think that Nascimento's gas tank is up to snuff, and I think ultimately Ulenbekov's pressure will probably get to him, and come that third round, we could see an Ulenbekov submission, maybe a ground-and-pound finish, um, but I do see Ulenbekov getting this done. I know it's some flyweight, so trying to bank on the uh, inside the distance is difficult, but you get a nice price tag at like plus... 190 plus 180 yeah at least you get plus money um not necessarily on him inside the distance but all the way on to gear uh here myself you talked about him being a long time picture or partner of khabib there's pictures out there of these guys when they're like 16 years old shirtless in the mountains and training so he really might be a, a cousin of khabib you know <laughs> uh he fought a real tough slate of russians um you know over on the european scene which is pretty different from nascimento's um, relatively weak, you know, Brazilian regional scene that he went through. Um, I see a lot of people, you know, the one loss Tagir has is to um, Zagas Zumagulov, and I've seen a whole lot of people saying that that was a robbery, and so this week I finally got the time, went back and watched it, and man, that, um, you know, we have not been robbed that bad before. It's, it is just absolute straight-up robbery. Doing a little bit of digging, it was in Fight Nights Global, which is in Kazakhstan, same place as August is from. Mm -hmm. um, and then the three fights after that, uh, Tagir doesn't fight in that organization anymore before coming to the UFC. It was a pretty shady decision here. But other than that, man, um, I see nothing really but, I, but things I love from Tagir. Really good pressure, good chain wrestling and trips up against the fence. His striking, um, you know, he's got the more of Khabib style, not more of the Mustafayev style, Zubit style. He's not as clean on the feet. Um, you saw Bruno Silva really tear the calf kick up and mm -hmm. go um, um, laying that a whole bunch. But yeah, I favor Tagir uh, here. Elon, um, what is he, a uh, Diego Shootbox guy when I was looking through his Instagram. Um, you see Elon Patrick on there. You see the champ, Charles Oliveira, Thomas Almeida. So he's training with some good guys. You brought up his size um, for flyweight, which um, nice, but at the same time, when you're trying to defend a whole lot of takedowns in a stylistic matchup like this, I think it's going to be bad. He's only fought one time since the Contender Series in 2018, and it was up at 135 pounds. Click on that guy. He's five foot three, so pretty easy, generous matchups for him. Um, probably give him the stand up edge, but you know, just because there's not a lot coming from Tagir, I think there's a little bit of Muay Thai background from Milan. But you talk about majority of his wins do come by submission. He's got a bunch of triangles, um, heel hooks, knee bars, and stuff off his back. And um, it's not going to work against not. the upper echelon wrestling of Ulan. That's exactly what I was about to get at, man. I think it's just a horrible style to accept, you know, bottom position on a, such a dominant wrestler. Um, Tagir is a pretty damn comfortable parlay piece for me to sit, kick the night off, or sorry, kick the morning off on Saturday. Okay. Next up, we're in the lightweight division where we see Demir Uzmagulov, who's twenty-three and one, taking on Magomed Mustafayev, who's fourteen and four. Demir returned last time out after a two-year layoff. Um, a lot of people thought he took like a step down in competition taking on Rafael Alves, but at the same time, maybe doing the UFC a little bit of a favor, beating the guy who comes out there and misses weight by like 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's kind of quietly climbing his way through the ranks for someone who's kind of a casual fan on the outside. You probably never heard of Demir, but you know, for someone like us who really um, dives into the sport, we know this guy's legit, and we know he's, um, his skill set is very legit, and that it can really consider a dark horse of division. M1 champion, been the full 25 minutes. He's got a 5'10 frame with a 74-inch reach, and he knows how to stick to the end of his punches very, very well. The guy's on an 18-fight win streak and incredibly well-rounded. Um, you know, Mustafayev is a talented striker. I think Demir is probably equally as talented on the feet, and, and we'll probably have a big advantage if this fight goes to the mat. 
I talked about Mustafaev. He's he's one of the Russians that preferably likes to strike. You know, mm-hmm. I know he can out wrestle Brad Riddell and land a couple takedowns there. But when he faces a legit wrestler like Kevin Lee, man, he gets taken down a bunch and he gets submitted in round two. So I'm not sold that this guy is as even one of these Russians that has top level grappling. He fights real inconsistently here. I'm on Demir, man. How about yourself? Yeah, I think Demir is the fucking goods, yeah. man. He he really is. He's like you said, he's coming from M1, and that's probably my favorite organization mm-hmm. outside of the UFC. And he ran that light lightweight division yes. for a few years. Um, honestly, like you said, I do think he's still taking a step down in comp- competition. He's four and zero in the UFC, but all four of those by unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard to back a guy promotionally when he's not really delivering you highlights to right. kind of feed him up the ranks. Um, I do think we're in for another unanimous decision here. (laughs) Mustafayev is a tough son of a bitch. And, you know, with his two losses, they're just deep competition, so you really can't fault him. And, you know, I tried to make a case for Mustafayev, trying to, you know, find areas that in MMA that he's better in his Magulov end. But I don't think that there is any, man. I I truly don't. Um, The big problem um, with, like, Mustafayev's offense is that <clears throat> he wants people to push the pace on him. You, you talked about the spinning techniques that he tries to utilize. Well, he's really accounting for the forward pro, uh, yeah. for, uh, forward like aggression of his opponents to walk into those. And Demir is one of the most defensively sound fighters I've ever seen and really a master of dragging those fights out and allowing his opponents to be the ones that make the mistakes. I think that um, we'll probably see Mustafayev try some of those spinning attacks and actually whiff on those, and it, it'll it'll look bad, and we'll kind of see a Floyd Mayweather-esque mm-hmm. um, Ismagulov point victory. Yeah, man, I, I don't disagree with anything you said there. Um, I like how much you touched on how just defensively sound it is, man. It's a surgical approach to every single one of these fights you see from him. Um, doesn't put himself in danger. I love his boxing. I love his calf kick to negate a whole lot of that lateral movement that you'll see from Magomed. Um, and yeah, I think he whiffs on a whole bunch of those spinning techniques. And but that really is might be a you know his puncher's chance to get it done here. I, I think Demir is better in every facet of this game. Mm-hmm. Our next fight takes place in the middleweight division, where we see Hugh Yazong versus Andre Petrovsky. Um, this fight's. Kind of laughable, man. You know, I don't think that Hugh Yazong is worthy of competing in the UFC. Um, this will be the first time that he's competing in middleweight. And, uh, you know, judging by the first two fights that he took in the UFC, it was a much needed career move. Um, Petrovsky, he's one of the more muscled up 185ers. And, you know, he's one of the guys that usually relies on his wrestling to get the fight to the mat, control it. And obviously the biggest knock on Andre, if you look down his record, you see his, uh, his loss and tough, it's his cardio, man. Mm-hmm. He's uh, always had that lackluster cardio, and I don't really think it's uh, something that he's going to be able to fix. His style really requires those explosive movements and a bunch of strength to compete, complete. And I think that his best chances whenever he is fighting into, is to win it early. I know that in his last fight against Michael Gilmore, it kind of got dragged out to the third round, but he controlled him for eight out of the 13 minutes that the mm-hmm. fight lasted, and there were plenty of finishing opportunities. It just turns out that Michael Gilmore is pretty fucking tough. <laughs> um, Yazong, he showed awful defense in the Cyril Asker fight when it comes to takedowns, and you know I know a lot of people are going to say that you know Asker's a heavyweight, um, but Petrovsky is one of the better pure wrestlers at 185. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think that Yazong's going to have much to offer him outside of uh, trying to drag this fight out. He might have some toughness on him. 
The fact that Petrovsky took it on short notice makes me want to stay away from betting Petrovsky, although I do think he gets it done. Uh, I really lean heavily on the does it, fight doesn't go the distance sitting around minus 180 right now. Uh, I think that that should be around a minus 300, 350, uh, considering both these guys' uh, record of not seeing the judges. Um, yeah, man, I don't really know how much I can add to it. You pretty much hit everything that I was going to say, too. You know, Hughes, he's coming off a three-year layoff now. You know, you, there's a ton of question marks around him. When you look at him online, you know, I know he was, did some Tiger Muay Thai training in the past. There was Jack, pictures of him at Jackson Wink, you know, but that's three years ago, and he's not posted anything on his social media. Um, I don't know what he's going to show up like on Saturday, if he's going to even make the middleweight limit on Saturday. Right. Um, you know, he talked about his, his debut against Cyril, uh, or Cyril Asker, however you say it. It is up at heavyweight, and he's outweighed by about 25 pounds in that fight. You know, he, I think Cyril Asker shows up about um, 250, um, whereas Hugh Yazong showed up about 225 or something, about 220 that fight. Um, and he did get out-wrestled pretty easily um, and gave up the rear naked choke. So, you know, I feel like if Petrovsky does get this fight down, there will be opportunities for him to get the submission. Um, on the feet, though, when he was fighting Rashad Coulter, who missed weight at or 205 pounds, um, he showed a hell of a chin, man. You know, his, he looks very, very durable. I believe he's got um, some Chinese wrestling background. I don't want to compare that anywhere to Andres, but um, I don't know if he's going to be technically lost on the mat. Um, he showed that he's got some really good kicks at range, a nice counter right hand. But Petrovsky, for me, was like the front runner for the for the season to win, you know. Um, I really, really liked what I saw from this guy, and I thought um, skill-wise, with the grappling credentials he had, he had the most upside, you know, to win it. But then you, you factor in his cardio issues that he showed in that Brian Battle fight and, and having to fight and tough so often and cutting weight. And it's just a bad mix for a guy like himself. Um, and you talk about taking this one on short notice. Um, yeah, man, I don't want to, especially when it opened as a pick 'em on bet on bet online, and now he's a swell to a very significant favorite. Um, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not eager to bet Petrovsky here whatsoever. In the Michael Gilmore fight, it going to round three and him offering very very little resistance is kind of what um, you know has me in the reserve. But he still finished the fight in the third round, and you're getting um, doesn't go the distance at minus one seventy five, where both of them historically don't. Um, I don't necessarily hate it, but I uh, I don't know what he was going to look like on Saturday. Um, and, you know, I guess if it's really good, he has potential to finish Andre. And if it's really bad, he has potential to get finished. So I don't hate your play. All right. That, you know, maybe it's something that we can look at for a parlay piece later mm -hmm. on down the road. After talking about Ismagulov, that might be something that we consider. For sure. Next up in the featherweight division, we have Makwan Amerikani, who's 16-6, and six, taking on Lerone Murphy, who's 10-0-1. Uh, Makwan, he looks to be doing his, you know, his work out of his own gym now in Finland. I don't believe he's doing any more work at SPG Ireland and stuff. Um, on the feet, there is nothing to love about Makwan Americani. Really, he has um, like not a whole lot of uh, volume or anything. The guy averages 1.5 significant strikes landed per minute. Um, you know, when you look through uh, down through some of his fights, the Arnold Allen fight, it goes to full 15 minutes. He lands 17 strikes. The Burgos fight, he gets finished in round three. He lands 22 strikes. The Edson Barboza fight, it goes to a full three rounds. 11 strikes. And let me just reiterate one more time, the Kamala Kirk fight, 20 strikes, man. It's just there's not a lot to love. And if he does stand at range with Lerone Murphy, he's playing with fire. But Lerone, 
he's an Englishman, man, and you'll hear it time and time again from me. Um, you know, their grappling is not up to snuff, and um, that is where Mach 1 always has success. When you look at Larone's Murphy's fight with Zubaira Tukagov, I know it's a draw, um, and I know he came back and made those last two and three rounds close. Zubaira, man, had a ton of success with the grappling early, and if Maquan's able to replicate that, um, you know, he's going to hunt for the submissions way more than Zubaira did. He's going to be looking for the front chokes, the anaconda, the darts. I feel like Maquan, um, man, if this goes to decision, I feel like Maquan's already covered his price tag with, with the advantage Lerone Murphy is supposed to have on the feet. Warranting a minus 300, minus 350 favorite. He needs to come out here and put Maquan away and just not convinced that he does so, man. Yeah, you know, yes, I like, I think that uh, the price is too too wide. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Um, but I, I don't know if I, I feel comfortable backing Maquan. I'll, I'll be, you know, first to say that in that last fight against Camilla Kirk, he got screwed, man. Yeah. That was clearly Maquan's mm -hmm. fight and he, he should be coming into this on, on a, you know, winning streak. Right. Um, at this point in Maquan's career, you talked about him training at his own gym. I feel like he's not taking the proper steps um, to develop his game um, like most of the longstanding UFC fighters have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's past 30 now. He's getting at the point in his career where he's in his prime physically, but the technical aspects of MMA are kind of yeah, passing him you up. You just don't see any improvements from fight to fight. At all. I, I will say one thing is that in his last fight, he did look significantly more muscled up. But I do think that that probably took a hit on his cardio and is why we saw him kind of fall off in that third round. Um, you know, like I, like I said, it, it, even if he did win that fight, we're talking about a guy who we were forgiving him for getting losses to um, guys like Shane Burgos and Barbosa. But you can't make a fight with Camilla Kirk close and, you know, be at the, at the point he is in his career in the UFC. Right now, Lerone Murphy, he's he's kind of the the hot stuff, you know. He is deal. the hype train, and he's a he's real deal, man. Yeah. You know, um, two zero and one in the UFC, and yeah, he was out wrestled by Zubaira in the past, but damn, man, like he's so athletic that he can utilize his own athleticism to get his takedowns, and he's got punishing shots whenever he does Great get you game in compromising positions. And yeah, I. Personally, if Maquan can muscle him to the ground, which I don't think that he's going to be early just because of Lerone Murphy's athleticism, he's going to be able to stand up. And um, Maquani, it's a terrible time. Uh, Maquan, it's it's a terrible time to have cardio issues this late in the game. You know, it's a it's an awful time to switch up because we have seen in the past him have some of the most success in his career in those later rounds. But it's tough whenever his past fight is is his worst cardio performance. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think, I think that Lerone Murphy, you know, if he keeps this fight standing, he'll probably pick Mach 1 apart and we'll probably see a finish. Um, I don't think that he's going to cover that price tag. I'd probably put Lerone as a minus 200. Um, but as, you know, as that Amir Khani line creeps up, it does get more and more tempting. Yeah. And one thing to note for Lerone Murphy, uh, he's, he's had what, I think three fights now in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Two of them have been on Fight Island. So the flight, the time difference, not really anything new to him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that is something that he'll probably have going in his favor. He, he, I like really what I see from him on the feet. His boxing's good. He doesn't waste a whole lot of energy. I think his calf kick is going to tear Amir Khani up, um, yeah, Larone, he's also got, man, he's built like a brick shit house. Americani's really going to have to work, I think, to get this fight to the mat. 
But if he does, I think he could cover the price tag. What else kind of scares me is Maquan, truly, if you look down his career, he hasn't had a, a notable win. You know, maybe Jason Knight was right. his biggest win. Um, Lerone Murphy having a draw to Zubaira might be more impressive, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more I'm kind of thinking this is Murphy's fight. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with laying off of it. I agree with you. Our next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division where we see Michael Olegzajcek taking on Shamil Gamzatov. Shamil's a combo, combo Sombat world champion. Um, he has a solid ground game. He's undefeated. Um, but his biggest knock is definitely inactivity. Mm -hmm. um, not reassuring that the last time we saw him was like three years ago, and it was a split decision over Clidson Abreu. Clidson didn't have a great UFC career, but he mm -hmm. is a decent fighter. Um, Oleg Zaychek, on the other hand, should be riding a three-fight win streak or losing streak mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you think about it, he's probably the reason why we saw Bukowskis get cut this week. Um, I honestly, I, I think the most likely way that this plays out is Shamil doing enough to get the fight to the ground in the first two rounds, and then probably gassing a little bit, and we could see uh, Oleg Zaychek kind of take over, trying to get the KO in that mm -hmm. third round. Um, but ultimately, I think that. Shamil will end up edging it out, winning a 29-28. Yeah, man, round three between these two guys is going to be a shit show. Neither mm -hmm. one of them have a gas tank worth a shit. Mikhail Zaychek trains over in Poland. He's only 26 years old, so there's still a whole lot of room for improvement for the guy. He's very experienced for his age. He comes in, um, you know, and the UFC has some pretty high hopes for the guy. They match him up with Khalil Roundtree right out the gates, and he ends mm -hmm. up beating Khalil Roundtree but then he's popped by USADA after that. And you can still tell the UFC really, really likes this guy because they match him up with Gian Vellante and Gazmir Antigulov on uh, his run back. And he TKOs them both in the first round. But, you know, that doesn't really tell me a whole lot, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. You know, it's, it's when you face OSP and, and you can't get the big light heavyweight out of there and you end up gassing and, and, and giving up the Von Flu choke, man. I know, you know, I know OSP pulls it off, but... Man, I was I was taught how to defend that before I was a blue belt in jujitsu, you know. And then Jim Crute just absolutely just mauling this guy, taking him down and slicing right through him on the mat. He's very undersized for two hundred five, and I feel like Shamil, if he is going to use his size, this is the fight to do it because on the feet, um, he definitely struggled with the southpaw in uh, Clidson Abreu. Um, you know, Shamil is a is a southpaw as well, so. You know, whenever these guys are in the gym, they don't really see a whole lot of other southpaws. And I think uh, Gamzatov struggled with that. And I, the the body kick to the liver, you know, the left hand from Clitson Abreu, they were landing. And uh, Miguel has got a whole bunch of speed and a whole lot more technicality in his striking than Clitson Abreu did. Um, with Shamil, he is part of that Russian mob. And you're right, very inconsistent. The last time he fought was on the Zabit Cater card where there was a Russian in every other fight on the card, you know. Um, so that's only going to be a second fight in the UFC. He's coming off, um, I believe, a two-year layoff now himself. Um, I feel like he is the more talented guy all around. Mikel Lezacek can come out there and get on you early with his pace and his pressure. I feel like if you're going to take him, you only take him by TKO, which I saw somebody take at like plus 550. Mm -hmm. That's the play to make, man, because his output, like I said, it takes a nosedive after round one. And if and even if he does win round one, man, I see round two and three going to Shamil. He already walked away with a very, very close split decision to uh, Clitson Abreu. 
and on Fight Island with all the Russians, man, um, if it is a close one, they're probably going to lean Shamil again. Mm-hmm. Next up in the welterweights, we have Zaleski Dos Santos, who's 22-7, and seven, taking on Benoit Saint-Denis, who is 8-0. With Zaleski, you know, he doesn't have necessarily the best wrestling to me, but he does have some pretty good jiu-jitsu and stuff. Um, and from what I can look and see on St. Denis' record, Zaleski probably doesn't want to play any other ground game with him. That's, that's usually where St. Denis has a whole bunch of his success. Zaleski definitely should keep this one on the feet. He's a pretty dynamic striker at times. He can switch stances. Got a whole bunch of kicks in his arsenal. You'll see the nice body kick from Southpaw. You'll see him break out the Capoeira kicks at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he's going to be a, a whole lot better on the feet than uh, his counterpart here. But I do you know, want to say that I feel like uh, Benoit is going to bring a ton of pressure at this guy round one. And potentially, you know, Zaleski Dos Santos could potentially wind up on his back in round one. And you might get a better price tag on him live. With Benoit, you know, he's working the last few months down in Brazil. Looking at his uh, Instagram, you see him training with RDA a little bit with Carlston Harris down there. He was getting some work in with some high-level guys, but he hasn't seen near the level of competition that Zaleski has over his UFC tenure. Um, With Benoit, uh, you know, he's automatically, I feel like, just going to go to the ground as early as he can in this fight. Looking through the historically and the past resume of Zaleski, he's given up takedowns to Nicholas Dalby, to Omari. You saw, um, what's his name, Um, Luigi jump on his back early. Mm Mm-hmm. There's been times where I feel like the grappling has been a problem for Dos Santos, but I think he's facing a whole lot higher level competition when that is a problem. I'm going to go with Zaleski Dos Santos, um, but there's not going to be a bet here from me, man. Uh, I'd really like to see um, St. Denis in the octagon before I before I either fade him or play him. You know? Yeah, I'm curious to see how the line changes. I guess if the line continued to go down for Zaleski, I would consider pulling the trigger on him. But you touched on something that I really wanted to, and it's the uh, the Luigi Ventramini fight. That really could have changed the, the trajectory of his career, and it's a mental lapse that I've seen him have in a couple of fights that I think somebody like Benoit, um, who is able to you know, lock up those submissions could capitalize on. You know, turns out Luigi's not as good as we thought. <laughs> and, um, you know, if he was um, a ground specialist, he would have locked up that submission. I mean, he had him in the most compromised position you could possibly want and uh, just couldn't pull it off. Uh, the thing I'm kind of worried about is that Benoit isn't really the biggest 170. We saw in his last two fights that he was at the catchweight yeah. 165. And I think that that's going to kind of hurt him in this fight where he would like to be the bigger guy and take advantage of him on the ground. Um, you talked about the capoeira style of Zaleski, and that does make him a lot of uh, a threat when it comes to stand-up. But it's not, you know, it's not a style that I personally would like to um, center my striking style <laughs> around. You know, I don't think it's the most effective striking style. And I am curious to see a little bit more tape before I try and fade Benoit, and I'd like to right. see it against higher-level guys, like you said. Yeah, if there's uh, anything I might look at in this one, with uh, St. Denis' you know, record and stuff of him not seeing rounds two and three very much, uh, might look at Zaleski Dos Santos' props for him to finish in round two or three. You saw him you know, weather the Storm and Luigi fight, take over and finish him. Mm-hmm. You saw in the Omari Akhmedov fight, he gives up round two and uh, round one and two with giving a bunch of takedowns, comes back and lands a knee in round three on a tired Omari to finish him. Um, so Zaleski, I feel like, is going to have the cardio advantage here and might be able to take advantage of a guy um, who's just not seen those later rounds. 
Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to pass on this one. And it, it looks like you can get um, Zaleski inside the distance at plus money. So mm -hmm. that is something that maybe we should consider playing. We move up to the middleweight division where we see Albert Dureyev versus Roman Topulov. Dureyev is the newest guy to come out of Chechnya, he, mm -hmm. and he's a, uh, he's, he's a motherfucker, man. Yeah, he you know? <laughs> he's a switch stance fighter. He has devastating strikes from either side, and he accompanies that striking skill set with a mean ground game. Um, coming off the contender series, he, he got a neck crank over Kayo Bittencourt where he tried to rip his head off. And, you know, one thing I noticed after watching tape about him is that he tries to find your chin coming in and coming out of clinch situation. Mm -hmm. He throws some devastating uppercuts on the inside, and you can expect him whenever you're exiting the clinch to throw a hook very similar to the one that Yan caught Luke Rockhold with. Um, it it kind of seems, seems like a setup fight for Dureyev, especially when you consider the style of fighter that Kopilov is. Um, Kopilov got welcomed into the UFC by Carl Roberson, who outgrappled him. That's, yeah. that's uh, pretty bad. Carl Roberson's kind of known for having weaknesses in grappling, and Kopilov's getting finished by him. Um, unless he's made some massive improvements in the two years that he's been off, I, I think that he'll be in for a pretty long night. And personally, I'm, I'm trying to play Dariyev inside the distance, and I think you might see this the same way. Absolutely, man. 100% on the side of Dariyev here. Real quick with Kopilov, you talked about him. Just one fight in UFC so far, debuting against uh, Carl Roberson. Um, and, you know, Kopilov, very talented M1 kickboxer. Um, and then you look at Carl Roberson, very talented glory kickboxer. Mm -hmm. We thought it was going to be a nice, fun fight, and it was an absolute lackluster showing from both of them. Round three, point deduction for Kopilov with the eye poke, makes Carl Roberson go to the grappling, and the glory kickboxer slices right through Kopilov mm -hmm. on the mat to get the rear naked choke. Um, that alone is just about all I need to see. You know, Kopilov, he is a dangerous striker. He's got a nice body kick from Southpaw. He's got a real nice knee that he likes to sneak up, and he'll dig the body. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just not sold that he is going to be able to stop um, much of anything coming from Dariyev. You look at Dariyev, and, um, you know, he was just off of a two- or three-year uh, layoff, and he made the improvements. He came back, and he didn't skip a beat. So mm -hmm. I don't even want to read too much into Romans and thinking he's going to make those improvements because I just saw Dariyev has made those improvements in his last time out. He posted on his Instagram. He was hitting a heavy bag. He's saying Kopilov just doesn't worry him, man. When he was look, you know, when you look about the guys he's fighting there in ACB, where he's the middleweight and the welterweight champion, he says, "I put all these strikers away with my hands before I submit them." Mm -hmm. He is not lost whatsoever on the feet here, and you can tell the UFC really, really likes this guy. Um, Kopilov's taking it on short notice here. They actually matched him up with Alessio Di Tirico, who is two months removed from getting his head sent into orbit by Al Hassan. Um, the UFC really likes Duryev. Like you said, the new Chechen guy in town. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have Duryev parlayed quite a few times. I love him inside the distance. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, he him inside the distance is minus 120, but I know you could get the fight doesn't go the distance for a minus 170. And Roman, Roman's got, you know, he's got some stuff to offer on the feet. I'm all, all the way on the Duryev side, um, but yeah, we're gonna probably bet him inside the distance. Mm -hmm. In our featherweight division, we have Zubaira Tukugov, who's 19-5-1, taking on Ricardo Ramos, who's 15-3. With Zubaira, he's under the guidance of Habib, Javier Mendez, part of the Islam squad there. Um, man, you know, like most of those guys, he comes in with a smart game plan, sticks to what he knows, and sticks to the wrestling. All of his losses come by way of split decision. 
Um, so, you know, his career could look a little bit different, but it's really about how the judges are going to reward grappling and control time. But we are in Fight Island. Ali manages him. He's on the card with all the Russians. I feel like control time is going to get rewarded for him on Saturday. Um, a lot of people will talk about the Rolone Murphy fight and his gas tank that he had in that fight. He was sweating bad and he was gassing bad. But to his, you know, to his defense, he was coming off a three-year layoff of that one, popped by mm-hmm. USADA for two years, and then suspended for his part in the Conor McGregor and Khabib brawl. So he'd been out of the cage for a very, very long time. And then, you know, when he comes back, he just dusts Kevin Aguilar in one round. And then you kind of see the, the the cardio and stuff take a dip again in the Dawadu fight. So it is something to keep in mind for Tukagov as, as he, you know, he doesn't really, I guess, have a bunch of control. These guys are able to get back to their feet, and it does make him work a little bit. Um, but I do think he's going to have success finding the takedown here on Ricardo Ramos. You know, sure, Ricardo Ramos can take down Eamon Zahabi, Journey Newsom at 35. Sure, he can take down Eduardo Garagori, who I told I know I was told you Darren Elkins was very warranted of his minus two twenty favorite of that. <laughs> you beat it into my head that Bill Algio was not going to be able to defend Ricardo Ramos's takedowns, but they're you know it's just it's tailor made matchups for him to wrestle when he gets guys like even Larone Murphy who's just very strong. I mean you know I know Larone got swept by the momentum, but Larone really landed two takedowns in that fight. One being a nice double leg that landed or that you know led to the ground and pound finish he had. I really think Zubair is a good bet here. Um, Ricardo was making 35 a couple week, you know, a couple years ago. Zubair should get this fight down to the mat. I'm going to go by decision like he normally does. Um, bunch of control time for him. Yeah, I, I pretty much yeah exactly what you said. Um, I've got Zubair here. Um, like you said, he, he had some tough competition, and it you know it's when he's facing upper echelon people is when mm-hmm. he has close fights. Anytime that he fights anybody who's subpar, um, like Kevin Aguilar, you see him wipe the floor with them. Right. Um, you know he he's the type of guy who will stand on the feet for as long as he has to before he he works into those takedowns. Um, that's definitely where he has the most success. As of recently, that's also where Ricardo's had success. Um, but you know, I don't. I think he's in a really tough spot here against a much better wrestler. And grappling versus grappling, I definitely think Tukagov is is going to be the one who ends up on top and will most likely win those positional, um, you know, scrambles and have the control time on the mm-hmm. judges' scorecards. He's the rightful favorite. But I, I I don't know if Ricardo Ramos is somebody who I can put up in the Lerone Murphy, um, Hakeem Dewadu, Renato Moicano realm. So, it, you know, depending on, on how you rank Ricardo Ramos, I guess will determine whether or not you think that laying favorite odds on somebody like Zubaira is worth it, knowing that he splits with anybody who's d- decent. Yeah, um, and I think that's a big point that you hit. He's going to split decisions with... Um, much top-level talent compared to Ricardo Ramos, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Zubair is one of the best lines you can get on the Russians this weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're debating it could be a potential play for us. Yeah, for sure. This is our prelim main event and actually a casual cap challenge for this week. We've got in the strawweight division, Amanda Hibas versus Verna Jandarova. And uh, this is a great matchup, man. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Amanda's first fight back since suffering that uh, UFC loss to Marina Rodriguez, who we now know is the real mm-hmm. fucking deal, man. Um, she took eight months off after that beating, and I-, I think that that was the right amount of time to kind of get her bearings back and get back on track. 
both these girls have legit grappling skills and in their past they've definitely relied on those to get the fights where they're comfortable um, the issue is kind of when they're forced to strike mm -hmm. stand and strike um, I think that this will probably be um, like that perfect example of two primary grapplers who cancel each other out and it'll be it'll be who's more polished on the feet is going to come out victorious um, in this case, I think it'll probably be He-Boss, man. She's got nearly double the amount of strikes per minute compared to Verna, and she's got a 23% better striking defense. To throw on top of it, He-Boss is the longer, taller fighter, and um, I honestly think that we're going to see He-Boss kind of stick to the outside, and we're going to see Verna start to panic shoot. After about the third round, um, I think that the damage that she's accumulated, that Reboss has been able to stuff those takedowns, um, she'll end up either getting finished or get 10-8ed in the third. This is going to be an interesting casual cat because, mm -hmm. man, I see this fight so much different. With Hebus, uh, she's been out for eight months because she's been dealing with COVID twice, man. Um, something I don't know the statistics of it. I know Volt came back and looked amazing after dealing with it. But it is something to note that she's had to battle that here. I think this is excellent matchmaking. You have the number 11 ranked fighter fighting the number 12 ranked fighter. They both have very similar skill sets into how they have success in fights. Um, with Amanda Rebus, um, you know, I look at who she's beaten. Emily Whitmire, cut. Mackenzie Dern, off a year and a half layoff having a baby. You know, I will stand by the fact 100% Verna Jandaroba fought a twice as good Mackenzie Dern as Amanda Rebus did. You know, she's now with Jason Perillo and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, much better Mackenzie Dern. Uh, Randa Marcos, man, she was, um, you know, an almost a rear naked choke away from losing her job on Saturday in round one. And then who's the other girl that she just beat? Um, I'm sorry, Paige Van Zant at 125 pounds cut. Amanda Rebus has not really shown anything to me. Um, you did bring out some statistics, striking statistics that are pretty good. The volume, you know, her striking defense. But it's a 50-50 fight to me. And, and with two girls, you know, uh, who are very good at jiu-jitsu, grappling, do canceled out. Amanda Rebus really hasn't shown me enough in her fights against very low-level girls that she's warranted of continuing to climb to a minus-160 favorite and stuff. And at the same time, I could just be speaking out of my ass, but for some reason, man, I think Verna's jiu-jitsu is just better than, than Amanda Rebus. I know she's got the black belt and judo and stuff, but, man, Verna is strong. Looking on the embeddeds and stuff, um, I know they put Amanda Rebus in her little bikini and stuff on there. She is a little toothpick, man, and Verna is its not. I think Verna comes in and improves every single fight, and that Kanako Murata fight, a damn good Olympic, almost Olympic caliber wrestler, that's a very good person to negate and to, you know, to lay heavy on someone who's willing to play guard. And, and Verna Janaroba went out there and got on her early with the hands. I, I will stand by the fact that I think Verna improves every single time I see her out there in the cage. I think she's going to be twice as strong as Rebus when they clinch up. And it's a 50-50 fight in my opinion. I think I got great odds at plus 135 on Vanderoba. And there's nothing more than a, than a close prelim main event that we just don't see eye to eye on, man. I can't wait to watch that with you sure. on Saturday. Kicking off the 267 main card, we're in our light heavyweight division. We've got Magomed Ankalaev, who's 15 and one, taking on Vulcan Ozdemir, who's 17 and five. And we will say it time and time again. I will beat a dead horse again, man. This guy in Magomed Ankalaev, he's the future, man. We really do think this guy's going to touch gold. Um, and I know Jerry Prokadza, Alexander Rakic, really kind of um, looked at as the top contenders in that division mm -hmm. right now. But 
Magomed is right behind him, man, and, and we'll have a whole lot of eyes on him in a big fight um, if he does get through Volkan on Saturday. He's one of these um, Russians, you know, that really come to mind to me as he's got no holes. Like, the guy is just such a good wrestler, grappler, and such a good striker. It's like, it, it, are you going to go out there and, you know, out-wrestle him? Absolutely not, you know, and are you going to stand at range and, and want to pick apart at this guy at strikes? Fuck no, man. You know, ask Ion Kutalaba what striking with this guy is like. And outside of a just a bonehead mistake with one second left of a fight, he is dominating. He should be undefeated. He's got nasty ground and pound, switches from both stances. His left hook is money, absorbs less than two strikes per minute. He's, there's just so much to love about Magomed. For Vulcan, the UFC is just doing him again absolute zero favors, you know. Um, He's already had to fight the two people I just mentioned in Alexander Rakic and Jiri Prokadza, and mm-hmm. now he's having to fight who a lot of people think the dark horse of the division is. Um, you know, last time out against Jiri Prokadza, he was in Abu Dhabi. Here he is again. He got KO'd in round two. Um, you know, he tries to dip and counter with the left hand. He's got fight-ending power, but when he closes distance, it's very, very sloppy. Um, it's almost um, Ion Kutelaba-like. And I think Magomed's going to put this guy away. Part of our uh, five-unit parlay on Saturday. Going to go with Magomed and Kalaya. Yeah, man. I don't really see a way that Magomed loses this. And um, since that since that drop to Paul Craig, he's been nothing short mm-hmm. of dominant, you know? Um, he, he's training at an eagle sport with Shamil Abdurakhimov. And at 29 years old, I truly do think that he's kind of coming into his prime mm-hmm. and the most dangerous version that we've seen of him yet. Um, when it comes to the technique of his of his game, it is light years ahead of people. And I, I think that you can really compare that to somebody like Zabit Magomed Sharapov, mm-hmm. who, although he might have his cardio issues, he's the most technical fighter in right. 145, in my opinion. Um, when it comes to Uzdemir, I feel very, very differently, man. I, I personally think he got fast-tracked into the top five right, of the oh, division. Uh, with a very limited skill set and uh, a big weakness in his ground game, which we've seen exploited multiple times in his UFC career. Um, And I know that we're talking about guys like Daniel Cormier and Anthony Smith, who are both ground specialists. Um, But I I actually think that Ankyulayev can exploit that same hole as well. You know, Ankyulayev, definitely a primary striker, but, you know, we can't forget where he's from. He averages only one takedown per, per fight, but it's something that he's relied on more recently, scoring three takedowns in his last fight against Krylov. Um, I think my biggest concern in betting Ankyulayev is that he doesn't throw enough volume to secure some of his victories like some some guys would. Ankyulayev in his six UFC fights, he's never actually thrown more than 100 strikes and only ever landed more than 50 strikes once, and that was in his loss to Paul Craig. Um, Vulcan, he has a victory over Alexander Rakic, which kind of relates to my concern. Rakic thought he was edging out those rounds, but the judges put more weight on the forward pressure and aggressiveness of Vulcan um, rather than the technical striking of Rakic. And I could see kind of Magomed falling into that, um, that, that, that problem. But like I said, if he resorts to his grappling, that's his path to victory. That's where he's going to find the most success, in my opinion. And to try and stand on the feet against somebody who, like Uzdemir, who's really only shown a one-dimensional path to victory would be silly. So yeah. let, I'd love that we fucking took a stab on Ankyulayev uh, by submission at plus 2,600. That line is absolutely broken. We've already seen that same line open up 
at DraftKings at a plus 1,200. <laughs> I mean, we I, I honestly think that sniping that line was one of the better things our podcasts have done to date. I'm with you, man. I, I would love nothing more than to make, what, five units off of Magomed's... Uh, off a point two off stab. Off a point two stab, cash a first leg of our five-unit parlay. Magomed's the real deal. I don't really know how much more I can add to it there. It's about all you're going to get from me. We move down to the welterweight division where we see Lee Jingliang taking on Kamzat Shemayev. Shemayev is actually who rounds out our five-unit parlay for this fight card. And uh, Preston and I have been saying all week how excited we are to see Boars back in action. Yes, man. sir. Um, after rewatching his tape, it's hard not to get fired up about his return. Like He's been nothing short of dominant since entering the UFC yeah. as well. And um, I, I don't think I'm out of pocket in saying that I think he's cut from the same cloth that Khabib is, man. Um, he's, he's got legit power in his striking that makes his opponents respect his stand-up. And then he has a straight right that perfectly sets up his uh, takedown entries where he's really able to take mm-hmm. over, man. Um, he sticks to you like a leech, and he's cool, cool as a cucumber doing it. And I, I forget which fight it was, but I saw him take the back of somebody and get his mouthpiece knocked out and him pick it up, reposition it in his mouth, and then <laughs> automatically sink in a rear naked choke. And it's just like... This dude's different. He has zero nerves going into there. And to be honest with you, I don't think that he's going to face true adversity until he's fighting somebody named Colby or Usman, or he moves up into 185 and fights the upper echelon of that division. When it comes to welterweights, man, I just think that he's too big, too strong, and too technical for Mm -hmm. any of them. Um, I want to make this clear. I'm not overlooking Jing Liang's abilities. I just don't know where he's going to be able to find success here. He does have a sneaky left hook that he, you know, has caught a couple people with off guard. But Jing Liang has been out grappled in his last two losses by inferior grapplers in Jake Matthews and Neil Magny. Yep. I'd be shocked if he offers any resistance to the Chimayev smash, man. So I, I've got Kamzat Chimayev. I think he covers any price tag. And I think that he's a, a more likely to win than Islam Makachev is later on the card. Absolutely, man. Uh, I'm sad all the day, all day. And you talked about his price tag. I think it's warranted for sure, man. He was he was literally uh, in the fight with. He was a bigger favorite in the fight with GM three up at welterweight. The GM three who just beat Muradov. You mm-hmm. know, like I, 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 yeah, it's warranted, man. With Jing Ling, trained out of uh, the PI Institute there in Shanghai, and for me, I, uh, you know, props to him for taking the fight, but I. Maybe it's a little bit of punishment for ruining that comeback, you know, and upsetting Pontanibia, who was a real uh, welterweight contender prior to that. Um, you know, he was more than a two-to-one underdog to Zaleski Dos Santos and Pontanibio. So, again, I don't really see anything, you know, wrong with this minus 400, 500 uh, Hamzat Chemaev line. Where Jing Lang is going to have any success, it's probably the first two or three minutes of the fight where he's, you know, slinging the big left hook like you talked about. But as the fight progresses... You know, you talked about the Neil Magny, um, the Jake Matthews. As the fight definitely, you know, goes later, his his cardio takes a big dip. And we've not seen uh, Lee the Leech have much success outside of China at all. You know, I know he beat Pontanibio, but, you know, it's like 30 seconds into the fight. You know, we didn't really get to see much in the Neil Magny and the other ones. He doesn't look good. With Hamzat, it is, uh, like I put in our tweet, it is generational talent. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a reason three fights into the UFC, this guy was trying to get matched up with Leon Edwards at top five welterweight. The UFC knows it in everything. There's some nasty Russian born there, got the wrestling credentials, but he's moved to all-stars over in Sweden and developed that striking with Gus and Latifi and Kutat Deladze. 
there's a video out there of him dropping Gustafsson with a body shot. It's um, there's nothing that I don't like when I watch Chimaev tape. He's got a nasty body kick, great timing on the right hand, and when he's on the bo- um, on top of you, his ground and pound um, opens up his submissions beautifully. You talked about him being tested by guys like Colby or Usman. Yeah, I do think it's going to be top-level guys that are going to be able to test that gas tank of him. We've not seen him past six and a half minutes of fight time, and we haven't seen him really tested. So it is going to be in deep waters if Kamzat ever has a problem, but he's not shown me anything that um, that I can say. I know a lot of people are concerned about the COVID stuff mm-hmm. that Jamayov's coming off of, and like you said, if we haven't seen him after six or six minutes, you know, it's tough to bank that his cardio mm-hmm. is going to be any better than right. it would have been before COVID. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm glad that we both see it the same way. Jamayov is the goods, and yeah. I'm happy that we're laying. One thing I do want to talk about you. He pulled out of the Leon Edwards fight. I think he pulled out of one more fight. Um, there, you know, he's tried to come back and felt like his body was not ready, mm-hmm. and he pulled from the fights. He wouldn't be on this fight card if his body wasn't ready, in my opinion. For what it's worth, I saw a Twitter bot this week's comment and say that he trains with Chimaev and he looks better than ever. I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> but he seemed legit on his Twitter Good page. stuff, man, yeah. Hamzat uh, all day, finishing out the five-unit parlay to kick off the, uh, the pay-per-view with Ankalaev. Mm-hmm. Let's make some money, man. In our heavyweight division, we see Alexander Volkov, who's 33-9, and taking on Marcin Tibera, who's 22-6. and Volkov has always been one of my big heavyweights uh, favorites on the roster. Coming over from Bellator, he was a young champion over there. And uh, I feel like the first real time I got to, to bet on him and kind of tell you guys about him was in the Fabrizio Verdum fight when he knocked him out. And that was kind of his coming out party, man. I've seen him drastically grow as a fighter um, in every single fight. And he used to be that skinny point fighting style, but after kind of, you know, showing that he's got to put on some weight in that Curtis Blades fight to keep guys off of him, man, it's just, it's taking his game to another level. He's being able to keep those guys off of him, stay off the fence, and his shots have a whole lot more pop on him. And he's shown us the capability to go 25 minutes time and time again. Um, he's going to have the bigger cage on Saturday, so he's going to be able to keep his, um, you know, keep on the outside be able to jab away at Marcin with those teep kicks that he loves up the middle. He's got the real stiff jab, and whenever Marcin's covering up against the cage, Volkov's not swinging big hooks the way Hardy and um, and Walt Harris was. He's so surgical the way that he breaks your guard and goes around it with the right hand. I really like this matchup for him. With Tibera, you know, in 2017, 2019, this guy lost four of his last five fights. He'd been knocked out in three of them. He's had a bit of a career turnaround. You know, he's on a five-fight win streak that can only be matched, um, you know, by the two champions in the division right now. But, you know, man, looking at it, you know, Sergey Spivak, I, it's a young, good prospect, but I don't know really what we got with Sergey Spivak right now. You know, then you got a light heavyweight in Maxim Grishin, a 40-year-old, and Ben Rothwell. And, and Marcin was barely, you know, able to escape the Hardy fight and the Walt Harris fight by the skin of his teeth being dropped and almost finished. Just basically lucky neither one of those two have a gas tank worth of shit. That's where something Volkov showed me. He has no problem. I really, really like Volkov here, man. Um, I think you see it a little bit different? Yeah, man. You know, it was Klein the week before last. Mm-hmm. It was Choi last week. And I think this week it's Volkov, man. I mean, this is the trap fight that I think a lot of people are going to be putting into their parlays um, that, that could not work out you know personally i think the odds makers are right for making volkov the favorite but i do think that it's a stretch thinking that he covers this at a 75 percent clip 
Volkov, probably behind Francis, is the most intimidating fighter mm-hmm. on the roster, and he would be a favorite over anybody uh, outside of Cyril Gaon or Francis. This just isn't the time where I feel the most comfortable backing him. Right now, he's coming off of his opportunity um, for a title shot that he, he didn't get, and in my opinion, he had a bad performance. It's not that he had a low output or anything, but he fought the exact fight that you can't fight against Gaon. And you know, he got into a point fight where, and this is a real statistic, he threw 99% of his strikes at distance. And it seemed like the only time that he did ha- find success in that fight is when he moved forward. And going into that fourth, fifth round, there's no way that he thought he was up on the scorecards and he didn't choose to change up that game plan. I'll be honest with you, I don't really see how Marcin's going to win this fight. He doesn't really have the power to put Volkov out like Derek Lewis does. He doesn't really have the size to bully him. And he's far less athletic than the opponents that Volkov has recently fought. But if Tibera has success, I think it'll probably be trying to get put this up against the cage and make it about as ugly as you could possibly mm-hmm. get. And for what it's worth, right now, you know, we're talking about Marcin Tibera, who is probably the most active heavyweight right now. He's completely changed up his fight style, where he does not care about making a fight pretty at all. He's more than happy in grinding out a decision. And he's, ad- he's adapted in his career, where he's had a ton of experience. He, he came up on the M1 global scene as well. And he's somebody who I think matches Volkov on the experience level. And I think that he can cover this... Um, I think that he, he's a little bit more likely to win than what the odds suggest. Um, I don't think that he's going to be able to hold Volkov down, as mm-hmm. you saw in the Curtis Blades fight. Like he, His get-up game is legit. Um, but I do think that Marcin Tibera is somewhat of a live dog. I'm not playing him myself. I'm just staying away from the fight. Like I, I didn't really cash on, on Landwehr. I kind of cashed on Caceres. But this is one that I'm, I'm obviously going to lay off of just because I don't see a direct path to victory for Marcin. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think Volkov's in a tricky position here and one of the least confident Russians for me on this card. Yeah. Um, to his defense... Cyril Gaon might be the absolute real deal and could very well go out there and maybe potentially 50-45 France. He's the 50-45 Jair Rosen strike. He was another very, very talented kickboxer. You know, Gaon's very, very talented, but you have been on a roll lately, man, telling people that, hey, here's your parlay busters. So, uh, you know, listen to the man and uh, very well could uh, save you some money on Saturday. Hopefully I'm right. <laughs> We move to the lightweight division where we see Islam Makachev taking on Dan the Hangman Hooker. And uh, this is a fight that's had us worked up for a while, man. You know, Islam, we know, is not indestructible. (laughs) And uh, oddsmakers would have you believe in that he is at minus 700. Um, You know, I was telling P earlier this week that I really do feel like you could throw Hooker into any of the welterweight matchups that, you know, aren't Usman or Colby. And I would absolutely jump on his line at plus 500 against anybody. Um, to me, I think Islam is definitely his toughest, uh, or that this is Islam's toughest test to date with Dan Hooker, and we're really not seeing any respect whatsoever. I'll admit that since his KO loss to, to Martins, he's looked nothing short of dominant, but um, you know, Dan's a dog, and honestly, I do think that he has the tools to make this interesting. Um, one of those tools, the most obvious one, I got to think, is the knees up the middle. We know Islam's going to be shooting every single round, and um, we've seen... Dan Hooker get that done on multiple occasions like the Ross Pearson fight, the Jim Miller fight. Um, Another attribute that that Hooker brings to the table is his sheer size, man. This is Islam's tallest opponent to date in the UFC, which 
might make it easier for him to get in on those takedowns, but every single round starts on the feet, and I really do love the price tag we're getting on Hooker, whether it be straight inside the distance or by TKO. Um, I think that he'll find the timing. With the odds, I think that it's worth betting on him to find the timing, and uh, you're not getting a good price tag if you put Islam in any parlay. Yeah, man. um, I'm 100% with you. I I told you, have you ever seen the uh, South Park meme where Randy's balls are in the wheelbarrow? That is freaking Dan Hooker, man. If... If flying in on like oh you know getting your visa on Monday and flying in to make weight on a week notice last time out doesn't tell you, uh, dude. Now he's taking the most avoided fight in the division, man. Dan, that is just Dan Hooker in a nutshell, and it's nothing but respect. It almost makes me just want to bet my money on him solely off of that. You know he'll fight for your <clears throat> exactly, dollar, exactly, man. You look at the wars he's been in with Edson Barboza with Dustin Poirier. Fuck yeah, he will fight for your money. You know. Not not only that, he's not gone back and seen his family. He's not training at City Kickboxing. He stayed in Vegas at Syndicate Syndicate MMA. Man, Dan Hooker is he's got all the heart, the balls that I could I could really want to back. Um, you talked about his knee up the middle. What about his calf kick, man? That was tearing Michael Chandler to pieces. We saw Gaethje land that on Khabib a couple times. For a down, you know a dominant wrestler who's heavy on that lead leg, Dan Hooker, man, he doesn't telegraph it. He just chops it out there. I think that's another big thing that. Is gonna be um, is gonna work for him. You look at Brad Riddell. He's got some sneaky good takedown defense, and when he gets when he does get taken down, he's a fucking hard person to hold down. Mm-hmm. Do I need to begin to tell you how Izzy, who was that's everybody's path to beat Izzy, and how many people have been successful taking him down? Nobody but the light heavyweight champion. You mm-hmm. know, um, Dan Hooker could surprise people with his takedown defense on Saturday. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Islam, <clears throat> you know he is the pupil of Khabib. Man, he came in at twenty three. Um, he's been more tested than Khabib was at that point of his career. And if you listen to DC talk about this guy, you know he'll tell you that in an open mat situation that, that Islam's a better wrestler than Khabib, but he doesn't offer the same finishing techniques on the, you know, on the mat. He's, he's finished his last two by submission, but other than that, he had been a decision machine prior with not a lot of ground and pound to open up his submissions or anything. You know, um, Islam's 100% the favorite in this fight. We're talking about top six lightweights. If you run that fight back 100 times to cover a minus 700 price tag, you've got to win 88 fucking times. You will be hard to convince me Habib, who was perfect, 29-0, and 0, wins 88 out of 100 fights against anybody, man. And to go on to that, you know, you look at the, the Peter Jan, Elajamain Sterling, the uh, Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera. There are going to be flukes in mm-hmm. MMA. You know, yep. to think that somebody's going to be that successful at that kind of clip, uh, you've got to know something behind the scenes. I mean, there's no way that any fighter covers that. I love John Jones, but if he fights anybody in the top 10 of 205, He's going to lose more right. than eighty, more than uh, 12, 12 of his fights. Yeah, Habib, a day notice, Daryl Horcher, day notice, title shot, Aliquinta. Habib wasn't even this big of a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in no means by telling you, hey, this plus 500 dog is going to come out here and just bull run over Islam Makachev. But I'm going to tell you that this minus 700, I do not think comes out and just steamrolls over Dan Hooker. Right. And I think at a plus 500, um, it's pretty idiotic not to take a shot on it. Right, especially when you take into consideration some of the the performances that Dan Hooker has had. He's performed Mm. well against Aliquinta, Paul Felder, Nazran Hackfarass, Gilbert Burns. Those are good good opponents to have wins over. And Islam, you know, 
hasn't faced the top upper echelon of the the division. Dan Hooker's a mainstay at yeah. 155, and you know this is much closer than the odds would have you believe. I'm with you, man. And uh, we've already released what I think a half unit shot mm-hmm. plus 500 Dan Hooker. Um, it's on MGM. We think it's a little bit of a stale line. It's hold, it's hanging out there. So um, if you're watching the podcast, hop on that while you can. Mm-hmm. And our co-main event of the evening, bantamweight strap. Interim bantamweight strap is up for grabs where we see Peter Yan. He's 15 and 2, taking on Corey Sandhagen, who's 14 and 3. Man, it, you know, it does suck. I was really, really uh, anticipating this rematch here between Piotr Yan and Aljamain Sterling. But at the same time, you know, Corey Sandhagen ha- has done enough to show that he is, you know, he's a rightful candidate, I guess, to be in this spot, regardless of how his last one, his last performance went. With Piotr Yan. You know, I've talked about that guy for so long. He is one that since this guy got signed, he's just been one of the guys I've really, really thought had a ton of potential. He's 7-0 in the UFC and it only took him two years to be into a title fight and win the belt. When I watch tape on him, it's just real hard to find any holes. His boxing is top-notch. It's some of the best hands, pure hands that I've seen. Real good left kick. Um, a straight left's money. And he's real defensively sound. Um... And, you know, the way that he was able to, like, out-grapple, get around to the back and trip up and, and get down such a high-level wrestler in in Aljamain Sterling and then watching how TJ, you know, was able to get around to the back, put Sanhagen up, up on the fence, and Sanhagen not really have any answer to break the hands and get off, I think that's where Peter Yan is going to have a whole lot of his success because the size of, of Corey, you know, is always a tricky puzzle to solve. Mm-hmm. He's at a team elevation, and his gas tank is one of his big attributes. Now, I know he's taken it on a relatively short notice, but you got to imagine that um, Corey's gas tank is probably not going to be too big of an issue. And we saw where Aljamain was able to you know, to get out ahead of Peter um, real early in around one and two with just so much volume. And Corey Sandhagen averages over six strikes a minute, so I think that's where he will probably have success. He needs to try to get on um, Piotr real early and hopefully have the cardio to be able to you know, keep that um, up later in the fight where Aljo was not. But Peter is um, is one of the real deal fighters in that division. One guy that I thought was going to rule the division for a long time. Really like what I see with him. As as tricky as San Hagen can be at times, I got to go with the more talented fighter in Peter Jan. Yeah, so I I would agree with just about everything that you said. You touched on a bunch of good points, honestly. One, I think that if we put our biases aside, we cashed on TJ. Mm-hmm. But I, these are probably the two best lightweights or um, bantamweights in right. the in, in the world. Um, stylistically, I do think this is probably Jan's toughest matchup to date, and I want to put on that, uh, put an emphasis on stylistically. Mm-hmm. You know, although we saw the paper champ Aljo cut through Sandhagen in a minute thirty, I really don't see how this how this going that way. Right. Um, as far as, as saying that this isn't the, that this isn't the best matchup for Jan, I would agree with you that he should adopt the same game plan as Aljo. You know, trying to get to the uh, mat early and often is probably where he'll have that uh, advantage just in the wrestling department. I think I agree with you with saying that Jan is a better striker with his timing and his technique, but only by a slight margin. And I'm hesitant to even say that. You know, Sandhagen's speed and length and awkwardness of where mm-hmm. his strikes come from really are an X factor compared to the bulk of the, I mean, the he's division. He's got a big cage now. And a big cage to work with. Um, I think Sandhagen, like you said, the fast starts and, and, you know, Jan kind of being known for giving up a couple of rounds to find those reads on the feet and figure out a way to work inside of Sandhagen's length. Um, I think that there is a legitimate live betting opportunity for Jan here. Um, This being such a high level 
fight. I think a minus 250 price tag on anybody in the bantamweight division is a little bit steep. Mm -hmm. um, a prime example is, is the Corey Sandhagen, TJ Dillashaw fight where we hadn't seen TJ in two years, but we were more than willing to put a unit on him at plus 60. It yeah. just, you know, it being a shark tank between Aljo, TJ, Jan, and Sandhagen, um, any other, any, any given night, one of those guys could have their hands raised and, um, for me, I won't be touching the yawn line unless before fight time it dips under two to one, mm -hmm. or um, I can get that live betting opportunity with yawn. Um, I love everything about it that you said there. I'm I'm, I'm staying away from from Pewter as well, I'm a little bit further down in the in the guys that I like to parlay, and it's just because that trickiness that Corey has. You saw him break out the spinning wheel kick and catch Marlon. You mm -hmm. saw him lure uh, Frankie Edgar in and land. You know the flying uh, knee, and that was after the Elajamain Sterling loss. So you right. know that he made changes to his game yep. game to combat those heavy grapplers. Yep, and uh, yeah, man, Corey Sanhagen. Um, if it goes to decision, I think he's he's covered his price tag alone, um, and I, I think this fight uh, probably does go to decision. If there's a finish here. I think it's Jan maybe getting a right late four or five round fi uh, finish. I know we always talk about the Sanhagen cardio, mm -hmm. but he is taking it on about five or six weeks notice. So the cardio might not all be there all the way. Um, Peter Jan for my pick, but yeah, man, I don't think I'm going to parlay him or pick or, you know, actually bet him either. Which is really weird that. because, you know, I think that we could both agree that Jan's probably top three in pound for pound rankings. Yeah, he's so good. And to, to get him at one of the better price tags on this main card compared yeah. to some of the other matchups is weird that we're not playing him. But I, I more out of respect to Corey. Right, yeah. right, for sure. In our main event for the evening, we move to the light heavyweight division where we see Jan Blahovitz taking on Glover Teixeira. Blahovitz is looking to make his second title defense against Father Time in this main <laughs> event, man. This is Glover's second time fighting for the belt and definitely his best chance of winning it. Yeah. Um, as much as I am excited to see these two fight, um, I'd, I'd be upset with myself if I didn't mention that these probably aren't the two best fighters in their own division. Yeah. Um, Nonetheless, I am excited to see this fight happen, and both these guys have really hit their strides later on in their fighting career and uh, seem to gain the experience that they needed to make a difference in getting these consecutive wins right. in, their, in their career. Um, they've both heavily relied on their fight IQ to maintain their current win streaks, um, far more than they ever had in the past. And, you know, although Yan has had a lot of success getting his most recent fights to the ground, like in the Izzy fight, I doubt his game plan involves going to the ground with Glover at right. all, who pretty much lives and dies by, by dragging you <laughs> to the mat. Um, I got to shit on Glover a little bit. You know, I, I understand that he can't pick his opponents, but his win streak is a little weak, man. You know, um, personally, I think that he avoided all of the, the guys that, you know, we talk about the most, the Yuri Przaknia, the, the Magomed Ankulayev, the Alexander Rakic. Those are guys that I all think would probably shit on um, <laughs> both these guys, you know? Um, man, I, I really do think that we're going to probably see Glover get flatlined. And unless Jan allows him to get up close to him, which I don't see happening, um, it should be a pretty easy night. I, I got to think, even in that Glover-Santos fight in his last one, I think that Glover gets knocked out more times than he wins that fight. It was just his night that night, you know? Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Blakovic's most concerning fight that I saw, and it was the Jacare fight. Um, it's a pretty comparable fight as far as Jacare being old as shit and being a primary grappler. 
And um, we got to recognize that Jan gave up eight minutes of control time to a smaller primary grappler. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I want this one to just be a Jan KO, I really do think that there is potential if Glover has success for this to be the sixth main event in a row that we see go to decision. <laughs> Man, I really, really hope not. Uh, but I do see this going pretty much the same way with the Blahovitz uh, knockout. When you mention a career revival, you have to mention uh, Jan Blachowicz. Mm-hmm. You know, he came over from KSW in Poland, and he starts off two and four in his first six fights with the UFC. He's on the verge of getting cut, and you know, but he's fighting legit guys. He's fighting Latifi, Manawa, Gus, mm-hmm. uh, Corey Anderson right out the gates. Um, and I don't know what's changed, if it's running through the woods, finding the dead body, but something has fucking changed, man, because he's won nine of his last ten fights. He's avenged the losses to Manawa and to Anderson. Um, and, dude, finally starting to get some respect on his name. He's the plus 200 to Rockhold in the Anderson rematch to Reyes. He's the plus 200 to the middleweight champ, Israel Adesanya, coming up. And we're finally seeing him here as a significant favorite, something we haven't seen in quite some time. Um, from Blockowitz, we always got to mention the block of blitz that we call. He leads yes. with that bat, you know, lead uppercut, which um, would get you caught with high-level strikers. But I don't know if it's going to be a concern here with Glover. I feel like the more concern is that Glover would time a takedown off of something like that, mm-hmm. um, or get the double underhooks and put be able to put Blockowitz on the cage. But Blockowitz, man, he ends that body kick with just devastating fashion. You saw it tear Reyes to shreds. His counterhooks um, have very much improved. And it's just really going to come down. Can he keep Glover off of him? Have he patched up the takedown issues that was the problem in Latifi, that was the problem in the Corey Anderson fight? Um, And if he does rock Glover, he needs to be patient. Don't rush it like Roberson. Don't rush it like Santos. Don't rush it like Ion Kutelaba did. Be patient. Back up. Don't let Glover somehow find a way to clinch up and get this fight down to the mat. With Glover, you talked about it. The dude's 41. He's fighting time at this point. And regardless of how this fight ends on Saturday, I think it. I think it's the end of the road for Glover, to be honest with you, man. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a better way to ride out on top um, if you win this belt. He doesn't want to defend the belt against the three guys you just mentioned coming up in Jerry, Rakic, or Ankalaev. And guess what? You lose this fight, you're in the back of the line. Guess who you're fighting? Jerry, Rakic, Ankalaev to get your spot back up. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think Glover calls it quits on Saturday. His legs are going to get absolutely chewed up by um, Jan's, um, Jan's calf kick. And what Glover does awful is he ducks his head in every one of the exchanges that he starts. You saw Anthony Johnson put his tooth up into the ceiling when he knocked him out with it. You saw Gustafsson land a combo that had like eight uppercuts in it yeah. before he put him out. It's John Blockwitz's uppercut that's going to get the job done here on Saturday for me. I think he's going to hurt him, and when he's closing distance, Pop, short uppercut, Glover hits the mat. I think we see Ann still on Saturday. Something else I want to touch on is it is the bigger octagon. And, you know, Glover yep. being as old as he is, he doesn't have the footwork to close the distance unless you're you're engaging with yeah. him. And after watching uh, Jan Blakovic kind of piece up Israel Adesanya and win some of those striking exchanges, mm-hmm. I don't think that he's going to have an issue circling out of the of um, his back against the cage and keeping this standing for all you know for as long as it lasts. I'm with you, man. I, I'm on Jan Blakovic. I think he can win this knockout. I think he can more likely he can take this to decision and win it. Whereas Glover, man, his best path for me is inside the distance because I don't know if the forty the forty one year old technically. Can grapple 25 minutes to keep Blockowitz down. I think Blockowitz will, will find a way to work back to his feet and, and land those punches. Appreciate you guys watching our breakdown. That's 15 fights we got. 
Prelims start at 10.30 Eastern on Saturday. Make sure you get up, get your cup of coffee, and tune in for them. We're going to go with the, cal- uh, the casual cap challenge on the prelim main event again. we got Amanda Rebus versus Verna Jandaroba. Um, let you guide Hebus. I'm going to take the dog and Jandaroba. I think it's a very close, very similar style matchup. Mm-hmm. should be a fun one. But as always, do a little recap. There's a whole fight on the card everybody needs to make sure to pay attention for. Which one is it? It's got to be the co-main event, man. Nice. I think Sandhagen and Jan match up perfectly, okay. and as long as this stays on the feet, we're in for a fucking dog fight. Yeah, I think it's a perfectly, perfectly fine uh, matchup. For me, I'm going to go with the main event, Blockwitz and, uh, versus Teixeira. you got a 38-year-old, a 41-year-old. You know you're going to get Teixeira's best version of him mm-hmm. trying to ride out on top on Saturday. I do not think this one hits the judges' scorecards, but we've said that multiple times over the last couple five weeks. But I think this is a fun one, man. I think Blockowitz gets the job done. If there's a fighter to watch, who's it going to be? Uh, it's going to have to be Glover, like I you said. You know, uh, he's he's on the brink of retirement right yep. here, and win or lose, we might see him lay down the gloves. So definitely an eye to, or a person to keep an eye out on. For me, it's probably a pretty obvious one to Hamza Chimaev. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit going underneath the radar this time. You know, he's not just the main star on the card getting all the love. Bunch of good fights. He's returning. He's got the COVID kind of situation, mm-hmm. taking some steps up. But, man, uh, we think he is generational talent, and I think he's going to put on a show on a pay-per-view on Saturday. What about an underdog for you? So the underdog, um, I'm not sure if he has the best chance to win as an underdog, but I know he's the most mispriced. Dan Hooker, man. I think that he definitely has a shot of getting the win here, and at plus 500, it's just ridiculous. You kind of have to jump on it as a capper. Absolutely. If you're you're a numbers guy, to say Islam wins this 88 88 times out of 100 to cover that minus 700, um, we'll just have to agree to disagree if Mm -hmm. you don't think so. For me, I'm going to go Jandaroba in the casual cap. Um, I personally think, um, you know, they have similar skill set on the mat, and if you do see two uh, people like that, um, it's oftentimes does get canceled. You see two uh, strike, or I'm sorry, you, you see a fight play out on the feet, mm-hmm. which I think should be a pick 'em. So I can't, uh, I can't hate my plus 135 on Jandaroba. My prop bet for the night is Magulov decision, even money. Um, you know, I know it's asking him to kind of have a boring fight. What's that's new what, from that's him, what his Magulov it, does. It's a surgical approach every time, wins them all by decision, and you can get even money for what he usually does, man, so I don't hate that. What about yourself? Uh, so mine's got to be the uh, Hugh Yazong versus Andre Petrovsky doesn't go the distance. Right now it's somewhere around a minus 175, and I honestly think that that hits at about a minus 300, minus 350. Mm-hmm. I think you're getting excellent value there and one that I plan on hitting pretty hard. Nice, man. Uh, what about your best bet on the whole card? Best bet's got to be Ankulayev, man. I mean, I'm about as hyped up as I possibly can be for yeah. um, a fight as his return. Uh, like we said, we both think that he's kind of the, the dark horse of this division and probably the most skilled in the division and it's just a matter of time before he touches gold i feel that man for me um, i'm gonna take duryev slash duryev inside the distance you get a whole much better a much better line if you take him inside the dis inside the distance um and he's got a, a very um you know opponent in front of him primary striker who mm-hmm. he can take down and get out of there duryev in the parlay duryev inside the distance my best bet on saturday I appreciate you guys watching. Hop in the comments. Let us know how you have in some of these fights. It helps a whole lot when you comment and interact in the video. Make sure to like and subscribe. We'll see you next week. Peace.